Hello, welcome to Full Metal Pod. I'm Jason. And I'm Jimmy. We had a New Year's Eve week, New Year week. Welcome to 2021, everyone. Uh, how did you spend your New Year's Eve and your weekend and all that? Well, I feel like I'm getting older now. So on New Year's Eve, I had to take a nap and set my alarm clock to wake up for midnight. And I don't know if it's just like, because I'm not spending New Year's Eve with friends or like a lot of family and, you know, the energy keeps you awake, but I was just super sleepy. So I took a nap and then I woke up 10 minutes before midnight to celebrate the New Year's. So I guess I'm getting older. Yeah, I thought about doing that largely because I didn't sleep well the night before. So I was thinking, okay, I'll just, you know. I'll go to bed and maybe pass out for an hour or two and then I'll wake up and, you know, do what it is that I need to do and all that fun stuff. Uh, But that never wound up happening. But I still managed to stay up until midnight and about one o'clock or so. We did a a virtual New Year's Eve thing. Uh, We basically, a few of us got on Google Meet and we chatted we ate we drank and then we played some uh online games from what's what's that popular uh, jackbox there we go so we did that and yeah it was pretty fun nice i was gonna start a movie like around 10 o'clock but then i couldn't figure out what was the right movie that i wanted to usher in the new year with i feel like there's a lot of pressure on a movie yeah there's a, a list that exists out there that tells you, like, you know, where there's a key point in the movie or something. It'll tell you where to start playing, the what time to start playing the movie for that uh, midnight to have that, that, that key point or that, that climactic point happen. So, like, I forget what it is, but if you start uh, Avengers Endgame at a certain time, midnight will hit when Tony snaps... And then um, you start, what's the other movie? Not movie, song. Um, In the Air Tonight, you're supposed to start at a certain time. And then after a while, uh, after you get to that midnight point, you'll get that little drum beat or that drum solo at the part uh, in the song near the chorus. So, yeah, that, there's just this whole list of stuff on the internet that shows you, hey, if you want to start out the new year at this specific time start this movie or this song at this time and there you go nice i'll have to remember to check that out in a year yeah we were thinking about doing that like uh we were thinking about doing the end game one but we just wound up not doing it and we almost completely missed it too because i guess we could have watched like something on repeat or something like that but there weren't a lot of places airing the countdown this year like even in san francisco we didn't have the fireworks show or anything i think the news stations were were airing like from 2015 or something so were there any fireworks in your neighborhood like i don't know if they're allowed over there oh no there were definitely fireworks and my dog was freaking out the whole time uh but yeah there there was definitely fireworks like unofficial fireworks just the ones that the city usually plans were all canceled yeah it was like the same over here the fireworks started around eight o'clock then they died down and then at like midnight it sounded like the world was ending i feel like people were just so excited that 2020 was over yeah well that remember fourth of july this year around that time like 
the week or two leading up, you just randomly heard fireworks. A lot of like not just here. I, I heard it was all over the country. People were shooting off fireworks like two weeks before Fourth of July, and a lot of people were theorizing what was causing that. And apparently, I don't think anybody came with a conclusive reason. But the most popular theory was that hey, people are just bored. They've been at home all day, home for the past few months, have nothing to do, and now they're just like, hey, let's just shoot off some fireworks. I've never been the fireworks kind of person. I always feel like the one firework, like if I ever did one, I'd be the person that like, well, I lost my hand. I've come close to that before, a few years ago. I am not a fireworks expert, so I don't know what kind I was playing with. But I think it was called like a mortar round or something like that. You're supposed to like fire them out of a tube and they go up into the sky and explode and stuff. So we were just being idiots, really. There's no other way to put it. We were just being dumb and we were just lighting them in our hand and then tossing them. But one time, like I'm just not a really good thrower. So instead of throwing it out, I kind of just threw it to the ground and everybody just had to dive back into the building before it exploded. That's how I feel like I, that would be me. Like I'd be like, did I light it on fire? Do I need to check on it? And then I like don't have my hand anymore. Yeah, I think nobody wants me to fire fireworks because I'm not that careful. And I like, yeah, I'll just leave it to the professionals. I get it. Though I do feel like my wonderment of fireworks has died down a little bit since as I grow older. It just doesn't, I don't see that many fireworks shows that amaze me, but maybe I've seen too many as a child. I think once you've seen a lot of them, it does kind of lose its interest because really, like I've seen fireworks shows all over the country. Well, yeah, a lot of different places in the country. I've seen them in different parts of the world and stuff. And really, like, if you've seen one, you've seen about 90, maybe 95% of them. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's that's just kind of the thought. So it's like, I don't, I don't know why I'm bothering. Because every time I've gone and saw fireworks, I was like, yeah, this was kind of nice in the moment. But it's not like I saw anything that I haven't seen before. Like, every once in a while, you'll get one where they they shoot off some fireworks that are like pretty unique like they spell a word or come out as the american flag or something crazy like that but generally speaking you see the same kind of fireworks all the time you're just looking at it over a different venue yeah i'm i'm sure if i go somewhere maybe like disney world i've never been to disney world so maybe if i watch disney world fireworks it might do something but for right now the average at home fireworks it's just like, okay, let's light in the sky. And then I'm always watching it. For me, I'm always watching it over an, over a body of water, too. So, like, when I was living in Austin, you watched it shooting off over, like, the uh, town lake is where I'd usually watch it. And then here in the Bay Area, I would go and watch it over the San Francisco Bay. Uh, I watched it over the Pacific Ocean. Not, yeah, the Pacific Ocean when I was in Australia etc etc and i guess it's just one of those things that when you're looking at it over water in the dark it all looks pretty much the same but yeah i think if i was like a disneyland or disney world or something i'd probably do more i'd be more into it 
I also feel like as a dog owner, when I hear fireworks or when I see fireworks, I'm like, oh, someone's dog is freaking out. Because my dog will freak out at hearing fireworks. So I guess I always have that in my mind when I I hear them or see them. I'm like, oh, I hope someone's dog's not freaking out right now. Yeah. Yeah, this is so I this is the second dog that I've had. And my old dog, she wasn't a fan of fireworks, but if she was inside, she was all right for the most part. Uh, new dog Winry, she just like lost her mind when the fireworks were going off. She was clearly just distressed and terrified, and I felt like so bad for her. And then we had to take her potty, and people were still, you know, shooting off fireworks, so she was really scared then. But then even when we were inside of the house, she was terrified, so I felt I was like, oh, I feel so bad. But there's like nothing I can really do. I can't reasonably go down to the people, you know, 10, 15 blocks away from me and tell them, hey, stop it. So I do want to say this, though. Like, I mean, we're all going to do fireworks. It, it is what it is. But you, I, I beg you guys to stick it to that one day. You get like New Year's Eve. It's past. Was not continue it. Because every time there's fireworks, like the 4th of July, I'll hear them the 4th of July, the 5th, and the 6th. I'm like, let's keep it one day, stress my dog out one time, and then we're good. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's just, let's get it done with for one day. This is the this is the fireworks day. And then after that, yes, you need to go back to, uh, to regular life and again not freak out everybody's dog or anything or wake people up in the middle of the night or whatever. Yeah. We're not saying don't do them. We're just saying stick to the holiday. I agree. 100%. It would make my life easier, make my dog's life easier and probably make a lot of people's life easier who, uh, who sleep. Cause you know, everybody shoots up while well, everybody sleeps, but everybody tends to shoot off fireworks at nighttime, not in the middle of the day. So all right, I think, let's see, I think now is as good a time as any to start with the podcast. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to jump in. Or start with the episode. Yeah, starting with the episode. Uh, so this is going to be episode 20, and we will wrap up season three here, which is good. That just means two more seasons, 26 more episodes of the actual show, which translates to about 13 more episodes of the podcast. So yay. Um, we're, we're doing it. We're making it through. Then we have to figure out what we do a podcast on next. But anyway, today we're going to talk about episode 38, The Conflict at Bass School, as well as episode four, or wait, 38. Yeah. So episode 38 and episode 39, Daydream. So let's start with episode 38. Risa enters her apartment and sees glowing eyes in the room. She initially thinks that it may be pride, but really it was just her dog. She remembers how Pride mentioned that he would always be watching her from the shadows, and this naturally just scares her, and she has to kind of sit down and breathe and whatnot. <clears throat> Mustang calls her and says, hey, I need to offload some flowers. I got drunk and bought a bunch of flowers and wanted to know if you had some or if you needed some. Riza says no, but she's kind of hesitant or she seems a little off and Mustang's able to pick up on it. She just assures him that she's all right. And, yeah, she's she's kind of happy that he called, though, because it gave her a little bit of a peace there. So we, we go back to the north, 
Scar is headed to an abandoned mining town called Bascool, and Kimberly has men ordered to shadow the brothers so that you know they don't go off and do something that Kimberly doesn't want them to do. So now the brothers have to figure out a way for them to separate from the men who are shadowing them. They claim to see Scar. They run into a building. They turn a corner, and then they use alchemy to create a wall. So it looks like the corner or the hallway that they've run into is a dead end, but really they're just on the other side of this wall that was just created. This gives the brothers a chance to wander and figure out where the scar or where really who they're looking for, Mei Chang, is. Uh, all of a sudden, they run into Mei Chang. Mei Chang finds them just out of nowhere in this village. She starts a fangirl over Al. Winry then falls out of Al's armor, which kind of upsets Mei Chang. Then Al tries to fend, saying, hey, she's just a friend. But then Al's like, wait, why am I defending myself to this girl? Dr. Marco enters the room with Yoki. Yoki acknowledges the Elwick brothers and mentions how angry he is at them. He goes and does a little bit of a flashback where he's talking about how he used to be the governor of a coal mining town called Usewell. Uh, the way Yoki was telling it, everybody loved him, but it's kind of clear from the story that's not really the case. Edward showed up and quote-unquote tricked Yoki into selling the deed of the city by offering him gold, but it turns out the gold was really just rocks that were covered by, with alchemy to look like gold. Yoki became a wanted man by the military and unwanted by the townsfolk. Uh, then Yoki apparently just had a string of bad luck. He gambles his money away. Then he attempts to rob what looks like the Armstrongs, and it fails. For whatever reason, these Fallens take him in into one of the slums. And while he's telling the story about how he wants to get revenge on the Elrics, really nobody's listening or paying any attention to what he's saying. Kimberly is told that the girl, Winry, is missing, so Miles and a small team go to locate her. Two of the soldiers that are with Scar find, uh, sorry, two of the soldiers that have come to find Scar wind up finding him, and a fight ensues. It turns out that the two men are actually Chimera. One is uh, part frog, and one is part pig. Their names are Gerso and Zampano, and I'm not sure which is which at this point in time. I think the frog one is Gerso, but uh, I could be wrong. Anyway, so the fight goes on. We jump back to the Elrickson team, and they talk about how they know that the land in Mestris is rotten, or at least the alchemy in the land, and that Elka history seems immune to whatever it is that is blocking the alchemy in Mestris. And they also think that it has some use that may be helpful in them getting their bodies back. And that's why they were looking for, for Bei Cheng. Marco mentions that they have a book of Scar's brother, which contains a lot of research on alchemy and alchemy, and it could be useful, but they can't translate it because it's in an ancient Ishvalan language that Scar would be able to read. They hear an explosion and realize that Scar is under attack, so the brothers run to deal with it. Scar is struggling to handle the guys because they read through his profile and they understand exactly how he fights, so they know to keep a distance from him so he can't touch them, but then also keep him touching things like the ground so that he can't escape. The brothers arrive 
and can discern that the Chimera are actually the soldiers who were there with them earlier. So they decide to play dumb and act like the Chimera are monsters and fight back. Ed is actually very happy to realize how light his armor is, but then he realizes it doesn't pack as powerful as a punch as his previous armor. One of the Chimeras spit on Ed, because that's how the frog one attacks, and Ed uses his alchemy to turn the spit into water, put it on the back of the Chimera, throw uh, Alphonse onto the Chimera, and then of course, being metal and water and everything, freezes to his body. Then the other Chimera starts to attack, and Ed manages to convince him that, hey, we don't know you, we don't know any monsters, if you really are who you say you are, prove it. So the Chimera like tries to revert back to his normal form, and while he's doing that, he's distracted, and Ed hits him on the head, knocks him out, and then Al puts his Chimera in a sleeper hold and knocking him out, and so the brothers begin to deal with Scar. Scar is doing well actually in the fight he is about to get the drop on the brothers but she or he hears Winriel don't hurt them and that distracts scar long enough for the brothers to capture him miles and men appear where they then restrain the chimera and prepare to take in scar winry tries to approach scar but everyone tries to stop her she manages to go anyway and she wants to talk to him she asks why he killed her parents. Scar says that there was nothing he could say that wouldn't sound like an excuse. The fact still remains that he did indeed kill them. Wait outside to see an explosion. One of the soldiers mentions that the location was where Miles was last seen. Kimberly looks on sternly. We jump back to Briggs and we see the men in the tunnel and they're about to head back or they've made it back to where the uh, little doorway is. But they mention that they've met, missed that 24-hour mark. They knock on the door, and lo and behold, the soldiers open it. Buccaneer is annoyed as he ordered them to seal it if they didn't return in 24 hours. A soldier shows him a watch and says, hey, it hasn't been 24 hours yet. As they look on the watch, they realize it's a broken watch. The soldier mentions that Armstrong gave him the watch after the team left. Buccaneer goes to the top of Briggs to meet Armstrong. She mentions how she likes the simple black and white, but then, of course, Buccaneer mentions, well, hey, if you look up, you can see some blue. Buccaneer thanks Armstrong for showing mercy, but Armstrong, of course, plays dumb and says, I have no idea what you're talking about. At this point, we see Central Command troops arrive saying that they need to speak to Armstrong about something, and that ends our episode. So what were your initial thoughts here? I love the watch uh, scene that uh, General Armstrong gives him the watch, but it's broken. That way uh, they won't seal up the entrance because uh, who knows when 24 hours have passed. That was probably it was a really great moment because we're getting to see more of a tender side to Armstrong. I agree. We rarely see any kind of tenderness coming from her. She does kind of have that reputation of being just stern and I want to say heartless, but definitely like just not a super friendly person. So to see that she actually has a heart for her soldiers in that way to where she was like, okay, yeah, I will, I will spare you or I won't let you guys die. We'll give you this, I'll give them this broken watch, which essentially means, hey, 
come in whenever you come in kind of thing. If it's 48 hours, whatever. So, yeah, that was kind of nice to see that. Yeah, it was really great. And we're getting to see kind of this other side to her. She's When we meet her again, she's sitting out there kind of looking out in the, the distance, kind of reminiscing on a, on a simpler time. Because right now, she knows the truth about everything. And when she talks about how everything's either black or white, it's just straightforward, good or bad. Because I feel like she wants to go back to that time before everything was so muddled. Yeah, I agree. Um, gosh, it, it was... It was nice to see her insightful because I think I feel like up to this point, we've just seen her being super hard headed, not hard headed, but, you know, just hardcore, hard lines into her job, all that stuff. Not really what you would describe as a soft person. So, yeah, getting to see her just kind of enjoying the simplicity of life and being heartfelt, even though she kind of denied it by saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. But, yeah, I like. That was great, and I love kind of the beginning. I, it, it's kind of like this little side story about how the brothers don't remember who Yokai is, and like his backstory, and how they ruined his life, but they don't even know who he is. Yeah, and I wonder why they removed this. So this is actually a story that's di- that they dive deeper in in the manga about Yoki and how he got in trouble and everything. They just kind of relegated it to a flashback in this, in the, in the anime, but it was still kind of funny to see how angry Yoki was, the brothers and how the brothers didn't even care. And just to give additional context of what happens in the manga, Yoki is actually a scam artist, more or less. He was, um, he, he essentially used his position of power over that, mining town to to get extra taxes out of people and essentially line his pockets and ed tricked him out of giving up the deed and then he gave the deed back to the townspeople so uh yeah that's it winds up being reported to by the military of what he was up to and he gets in trouble for it so you know he's his life is quote-unquote ruined only because of edward Elric, or sorry, the Elrics wind up essentially exposing him as a being a creepy guy or not a great guy. Yeah, I really like that, and it's kind of it's more backstory on another character that you know you kind of throw away when we first hear his name. It's like a it is like a throwaway in season one, like one of the first episodes. As soon as the brothers get to central, and then like now he's kind of part of the group. He's there too. It's a, uh, it's really funny because they're in the building complaining about, oh, how when are we gonna find Scar? How are we gonna find Scar and May, and Marco, and all this? And then May shows up, and then Marco shows up, and then Yokai shows up, and it's just, it's hilarious because he's the last there, and he's like, oh, I ruined the day, you know, when the Elric brothers showed up. Yeah. It. That part was kind of funny, and just the fact that they didn't care, they moved on. Also, we finally got to see some Chimera again. That was interesting. I think the last time last time we really saw Chimera in action was back when we first met Greed. 
And yeah, so now we actually get to see. And actually, those Chimera now that I think about it worked. Like they worked for, they were ex-soldiers. So they, the, it was implied that the soldiers, or they were part of the military program that turned them into Chimera, but they weren't active duty soldiers. They were working with, um, working with uh, Creed at this point. But now we've actually met Chimera who work for the military and are soldiers and whatnot. And it makes me question, because in my notes I have, like, the Chimeras are there. But then, like, these are functioning Chimeras. They're talking and they're they're fighting. They even got, like, some kind of power set to them. And it makes me think, like, you know, what Tucker did was, like, nothing then compared to what we we have right now. And it's just like, why did they let Tucker's research continue if, like, what he did was kind of basic compared to what what they know is, like, could happen? Yeah, that much, that's a really good point because they did make it sound like what Tucker does was groundbreaking. But then we start to see that, oh, you know, a lot of people or the military had the ability to create chimera that were even greater than what Tucker created. Because Tucker had to kind of cheat, I guess, by combining an animal with a person. I, I don't know. Now that I'm sitting and thinking about it, maybe what he did was kind of a good, a good, a good scientific breakthrough because... What he did was he created a chimera that could talk. And I think the way people have done it in the past is by trying to combine two animals together and then hoping by combining the two animals, they can make an animal that's smart enough to talk. Whereas Tucker decided that, okay, I just need to start with a human and then attach an animal to it. And there you go. So I think maybe like his first bit of research laid the groundwork for other scientists to kind of perfect it and say, well, while he tries to figure out how to make a natural talking chimera, we're just going to continue combining humans with animals. I'm just fascinated with like, unless I have two theories that one, did Tucker not tell people that his was like, there's a human in there too. And that's why it's kind of groundbreaking that it's like two animals put together and it can talk, so we don't really know. Or the other theory is like only the top tier, you know, if you're a rally level and on this conspiracy know of these chimeras that can function. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess that is possible. Uh, either one, really. Um, yeah, I'm not sure which one's more likely. So, though, seeing all of the. Uh seeing all of the secrecy that happens in the military, I'm leaning towards the second one being the case where only the top brass kind of know the secret of creating Chimera, whereas regular people don't realize that humans are part of the mixture. Yeah, and I I love the kind of comic relief that they always put in every episode when the brothers see them as Chimera and they're like, who are these people? And you guys must be the enemy because we don't know like, we have never seen you before, so you guys are the enemy. It it was pretty hilarious seeing them kind of overact. Yeah, exactly, because they, they couldn't... I guess they needed to find a way to get them to stop attacking Scar. 
And yeah, I think that was their quick thinking was, oh, we'll just, we'll attack them, but we can't look like we're trying to attack soldiers. We need to create some plausible deniability. So let's, let's act like they are monsters and we're scared of them. So we're defending ourselves. It was, yeah, it was really great. And it was cool seeing Ed be like, oh, this armor is so awesome. It's so, uh, you know, lightweight and I can move around. At first I thought he was going crazy with his laughter and it was part of the act, but he was really excited about the auto mail being so lightweight. Yeah, because I think, yeah, I think this is the first time he's used it, at least in a fighting situation since he got it. So that would make sense. Of course, when he punches, um, I keep forgetting which is which, let's call it Gerso. Once he punches Gerso, he realizes that the punch wasn't as strong as it would have been if it was pure steel. True. And then it seems like to me that Al snaps the neck of that one guy. I'm sure that's not the case. But it, that sound, when Al was like holding him by the neck, he was like, well, time for you to go down. And then you hear that sound effect. I was like, did Al just kill someone? Yeah, you do think that because it does sound like he is being, or his neck is snapping like that. But then, yeah, you look deeper and it's, I think it's not that at all. It just seems that way. But yeah, it's, I, I mean, yeah, I don't think Al would have done that. Because what we know about the Elric brothers and their, their stance on killing and human life. But yeah, yeah, they did choose a very odd sound effect given fiction. Anytime you hear that noise in a movie or whatever, it usually means, oh, I broke their neck and they're dead. But I am glad that, I guess I'm going to call this the A team. Not that this team is better than Mustang's group that he's got together. But I'm liking how the A team for the alchemists and alchemistry people are getting together. Because all everyone's starting to come together now, and now it's official... We've got May, Marco, and the brothers, and, you know, Scar. And they're all kind of in the same place at the same time. Though, they're in a sticky situation because Scar is a very wanted man. But, I, it's kind of a group is kind of forming together. Yeah, I agree 100%. Because this whole season's kind of been building up to that, too, of them, you know wanting to um of them getting together like this has been kind of the whole arc for this season was the brothers trying to get up north to find uh may chain to get information about alchemy as well as you know i guess them or may and scar and marco and that group yoki all try to get up north to find the the, the research that Scar had hidden. So, yeah, it's just like a lot of... It's been building up to this moment. Now we kind of see the team, or everybody in a room together kind of thing. And then we have Scar kind of pinned down. And then we get, I guess, a second reunion of him and Winry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the first time is in the street when they were trying to blur out the monkey light and then now we get this time and you know she just kind of asks the question and it kind of ends there 
I yeah, see this episode uh, it ends right there. It's really interesting. I think she wanted to ask this question the first time, but I think when you're in like the situation of their first meeting, a lot of action's happening. He's trying to kill the brothers, and then it's just kind of thrown out there that he's the murderer of her family. It's not like she has time to look him in the eye and really be like, why did she kill my parents? But now that he's pinned down, she wants to know. And that kind of is where we wrap up this episode. Also, we have uh, what, before we jump to the next one, want to bring up the fact that the soldiers from Central have now shown up in Briggs, which spells trouble for Briggs because, you know, one of the big things that had happened was that Armstrong killed the general. So I guess we're going to figure out what happens to her soon or what happens to the soldiers soon. We also know that there's that whole thing of them having to carve a, a crest of blood there so who knows what's going to happen next true and i figure like i feel like arm general armstrong knew this was coming like she knows that this is the last stop to like finish the circle and you know one of their people one of their high-ranking officials probably hasn't checked in a while she has to know that like central was going to send people up there oh i'm sure she'd do it that's why she told them beforehand that they should place all the blame on her nobody else was around when it happened nobody had anything to do with it it was all her so yeah she knew this day was coming so yeah and i'm i'm kind of ready to see like how she's gonna deal with this yeah i mean obviously she's gonna have to answer questions but if anything we've seen that she is really good at scheming or really strategic in a similar way that we see Mustang. So I think she has some tricks up her sleeve. It's just a matter of what those tricks are. Well, I'm sure she's going to be able to talk her way out of it. Oh, of course. She she has some kind of plan. And I guess we'll just have to wait until a future episode to see exactly what happens. But yeah, it, it is curious to see how is she going to get out of this one now. And I think that's all I have for this episode. Ready to jump into the next one? Sounds good. All right, so episode 39, Daydream. So we pick up where we left off. That building, there was an explosion, and Kim Lee and team show up. The uh, brothers run out of the building, and we see at the top of the building is Scar holding Winry hostage. Uh, Scar mocks Kim Lee as they are now in kind of a reverse position of when they first met. Uh, this time, Scar is standing on a building while Kim Lee is on the ground. Ed is losing it over Winry being captured. Kimberly says he'll handle it, but Ed stops him as he knows he will just use his explosive alchemy and risk harming Winry. The soldiers fall back, and Scar escapes. As Miles and the brothers are walking back, Miles compliments Ed on his performance. Ed said it wasn't a performance. He was mad that he had to participate in a charade. We're taken a little bit back uh, in time to when Winry asked Scar that question. Scar says, ultimately, that he understands that she would pass judgment on him and she is in a right to do so. Winry bandages Scar's arm, thinking that this is what her parents would have wanted. After all, her parents saved his life, so there must have been a reason. Scar thinks, okay, this must mean you forgive me, but she says, oh, I don't forgive you for being a murderer. And then Ed mentions that even though Winry might be in a better position. Ed isn't, and he wants to beat him bloody and drag him to the Rockbell's grave. 
Miles and Scar have a conversation where Miles reveals that he is part of Shvalin. Scar asks Miles why he is part of the Amestrian army. Miles says that he wants to change how Ishvalans are viewed from the inside. While he might only be one person, at least he can get kind of that wave started, you know, the whole uh, one pebble starting a, uh, a ripple effect kind of thing. And he mentions that it was actually an Amestrian who set him on this path. We finally see Scar kind of reflecting, and he realizes that he has nothing more than a wound of hate and revenge since the war, and he is glad that people like Miles are there. Miles calls Kibley's men to let them know that Scar is captured. Marco appears and lets them know that they cannot take Scar away. He's the only one who can make sense of this research. This is interesting as Scar needs to be set free and Marco can't be found. Uh, so Miles is trying to figure out what he can do with the situation. They decide that they should find a way to get Scar to Briggs without letting the soldiers know so that they can watch him, or the Briggs soldiers can watch him. Obviously, the central soldiers aren't going to be as forgiving. Ed, of course, does not want to let Scar go because of his hatred and anger towards Scar. But Miles points out that they still have this looming issue of that countrywide transmutation circle. The notes may have some kind of clue in it that will help them bypass it and ultimately solve the problem. Miles says that if Scar is willing to work with them, they will postpone his judgment, and then Scar agrees to these terms. Miles then orders them to dispose of the Chimera because the Chimera know too much. The brothers take exception with this because, well, they don't believe in taking any kind of human life at all. The Chimera joke as they don't really see themselves as human anymore, and at this point they're fine with dying. Alphon arg Alphonse argues that their life still has value. They retort by saying that their families think that they are dead because that's what the military told their families when they took part in this experiment. And even if they go back, their family wouldn't want to see them as Chimera. So Al asks if they want their bodies back, and they say they do. Al then argues that that is reason enough to go on, reason enough to keep living. And he takes off his helmet and reveals that he is just an empty suit of armor, so he is living for getting his body back. So they now need to figure out a way to get back to Briggs because a snowstorm is coming. Yoki suggests them using the mines uh, because, you know, it's a mining town, so there's likely some mines that will get them past the mountain. This is a great plan. Now they have to figure out what to do with Winry because if Winry just va vanishes, obviously Kimberly's going to suspect the brothers of having something to do with helping her escape. They come up with a plan of having it appear as if Scar has captured her. Ed does not like this idea as he hates Scar and he doesn't trust him to take care of Winry. Winry figures, hey, if I'm going to be a hostage anyway, I might as well be a hostage on my terms. Uh, and then as Kimberly and his men are closing in on them, Edward really has no choice but to, escape, uh, but to accept the plan. Scar promises that he won't hurt Winry. The Chimera asks to come with them as, really, if they have to go back to Kimberley, uh, they're as good as dead anyway. Marco mentions, like, hey, how can we trust you? We have a very important job to do. Uh, if you obstruct us in any way, you would be putting this entire country in danger. They are taken aback by this because they have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea what these larger plans are. So now they want to join even more to 
protect the people that they love. We jump back to the beginning of the episode where you know there's a standoff and Scar escapes. The Scar team, what we'll call them, head down to the tunnels and decide to uh, go down and find uh, the way to Briggs through the mining tunnels. Marco mentions how he knew the Doctor's Rock Bell and how they were great people. We now see Scar flashing back to all the times he was told not to kill. You know, it was, it was justified to be angry, but killing was wrong. And I think this is like the really the start of a, a change in heart for Scar. Mei Chang mentions that she doesn't want to return to her clan because she doesn't want to bring back information on the Philosopher's Stone because she believes that the, the uh, Emperor would have no problem creating one and using it to extend his life. We jump back to Miles. He mentions that Armstrong was summoned back to Central and now Central troops are at Briggs. This means that the fort is no longer safe for the team or safe for them to, uh, to for them to keep Scar. I'll, or I guess, yeah. So now they're trying to decide what to do because there's a snowstorm and with that snowstorm, there's no way that they could catch up to the team before they hit Briggs. And if anybody tried to go out there, they'd be dead before they even caught up to them. Al mentions, hey, I don't really have a body, so I can do the, snor- the snowstorm without issue. So we join Al as he's walking through the storm, and he kind of gets like a weird flash of his old body. And he thinks that means that his metal body is rejecting his soul. And now he's like, oh, great. Like, this isn't a great time for this to happen. I just need to keep holding on a little bit longer. We then jump to Father. And he has some, let's call them chess pieces. And he is laying down a piece for each person that he calls out. So he calls out Edward Elric, Alphonse Elric, Van Hohenheim, and possibly Azumi Curtis. And he says that he needs one more person. So I'm guessing it means he needs five sacrifices. And this is where the episode ends. So now we uh, we finally see an actual team-up happen. What were your thoughts? My initial thought of this episode is what if Winry did forgive Scar? Like we see at the end of this episode, Scar kind of go through this whole, um, I don't know, realization that he's just been like fueled by this anger this whole time. And he's not really making a change. He's actually just kind of making things worse, uh, for, uh, Ishvalen's. After seeing like how Miles wants to make a, a positive change, and uh, I always in my mind I was like, what if when we forgave him at that moment, would it just like, would everything snapped in faster for him? Maybe. I mean, granted, he didn't have much time to make any kind of mind changes anyway, because things were kind of going fast. But I don't know. I wonder if he would have behaved differently had she forgiven him. I don't. I think he, he kind of seems like he was already at this point where he realized he had gone down the wrong path because he realized he had killed innocent people who were trying to help him and his fellow Ishvalans. And coming face to face with Winry was kind of a reminder of how he wasn't this 
just warrior that he thought he was. So I think at that point, he'd already had kind of a change of heart. So I don't know if Winry forgiven him would have made much of a difference. It did seem like he really wanted it, though. Like, in that moment, he's like, so you forgive me? It seemed like he really needed that forgiveness, which is kind of interesting since he's someone who seems like he would never forgive any of the military for what they've done. That's true. Like he had absolutely no problem just killing people in cold blood. Even the Elrics who, while they were state alchemists or especially Edward Elric, while he was a state alchemist, he wasn't a state alchemist when the Ishvalan civil war took place. So he had nothing to do with it yet. He just wanted to blanket carpet bomb anybody who was a state alchemist to get revenge. And yeah, seeing this person who quote unquote, or looks like she's on the point of forgiveness who, you know, he killed her parents for no good reason. I guess that would have, that was kind of a change, not a change of heart, but I think that was kind of an awakening period for him. Yeah. And I, I feel like Winry can forgive him, but everything's so fresh now. I mean, her parents have been dead for for uh, quite some time, but I feel like the wounds are just reopened. Like, finding all this out, finding the killer of her parents, it's just all fresh for her. I do think Winry is a person who sees the better in people, so she could forgive him. I just don't think this is the moment. Gotcha. She might at some point, and... I kind of get where she's coming from. And she didn't even mention, like, her parents. She mentioned she can't forgive a wanton murderer. It makes me wonder if she's, like, just... Pa- not. I wouldn't say past, because it makes it sound like she forgot about her parents. But if she's gotten to the point where, while she is mad about her losing her parents, at the same time, she also knows that Scar has been killing a lot of other people, too. And I think that is what was really getting to her. I like we're seeing this kind of stronger side of Winry. Uh, she's not too weak. She even is the one who comes up with this plan where she goes with Scar. Or she lets herself be uh, a fake hostage of Scar. And it shows that even though these tough times and all this craziness that's happening so sudden for her. She's still able to be stronger than that and take control of the situation. True. She she definitely shows emotional maturity and how strong she is. Because even at this point, you know, Edward is still very much a hothead about this. Alphonse to some extent too, but we clearly see Edward is more mad about it all. Uh, because, you know, this was... He seems... What's the word I'm looking for? He brings up the rock bells over and over again. So, you know, clearly he seems more mad at Winry being hurt than Winry being hurt. Or Winry's mad at Winry being hurt. Uh, I think, I don't think she's trying to move on, so to speak. Um, Or at least I don't think she's trying to forget about her parents or forget about the fact that they were murdered. As much as she's trying to find a way to move on with their life so that she can live a normal life without this burden on her, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and it seems to me like Ed is trying to avenge them or, you know, get revenge for the Rockbells. 
while Winry is trying to honor her parents, as we see in the scene where she gets the the cloth and is like, if we don't stop the bleeding in your arm, you're going to bleed out and die. And this is what my parents would have wanted. Very true. Very true. She is definitely showing that she has grown as a character. And I'm actually, I like it a lot. It's definitely, I wouldn't say we're seeing the evolution of Winry because I believe she was always this person. And now that we're getting to see more of her in an episode and we're diving in deeper in her, that we're just now getting to see this, this stronger side of her for the first time. But I believe it was always there. Yeah, I, I agree. She. It's not like it wasn't. It's not like this is the first time she's been strong. I think you're right. She was definitely a strong person this whole time. Uh, but it is nice to see her. It is nice to see this development of her as a character and not her being just this, you know, two-dimensional character that, you know, doesn't really matter or whatever. So, yeah. So I love the Winry stuff that we get in this episode. But I also love Al in this episode and how... You know, we all know that Al isn't going to give up on trying to find his body. And they have so much proof now that how could he not, how could he give up? But now he's like, I don't want you guys to give up talking to the two soldiers, uh, the two Chimera soldiers being like, I don't want you guys to give up either. And he really like sticks it to him. Like, don't you have family that you love and all these things kind of convinced not convincing them, but making them realize that there is hope and they do have a reason to want to live and become themselves again. That like, uh, I guess a part that was taken from them after they became these chimeras. So I love Al's passion in this episode. Yes, I agree. You definitely see that whole part where he is using his life story or his experience of trying to find his body to kind of guide other people and guide them and trying to, f- to find this body. So I I'm really, I'm really liking that he, instead of feeling sorry for himself or whatever, he is actually using this as an opportunity to feel, uh, to, to inspire other people to be strong and look and all of that. And it's really great to see. I hope these two guys are on their side now. They seem very like, we're with you guys. We're with the plan. Because they say if, uh, you know, they go back to Kimberly, they're just as good as dead. So I hope that they really do believe that they can get their bodies back. And it just, I have a lot of questions about why they decided to do this. Because we find out that they both have families and children. So why would you volunteer to become a chimera and then have your family told that you were dead? For all we know, they didn't even volunteer. They might have been forced into it. I mean, we see the military isn't exactly the uh, best people. And then it makes me wonder, are the other soldiers with Kimberly also chimeras as well? Could be. I wouldn't be shocked at all if that were the case. It does seem like the other soldiers with Kimberly are worried about these two guys because they do say like, you know, I wonder where they are at. And like, these are the two things that could have happened to them. So 
I don't know if there's some kind of camaraderie between them as like maybe prisoners and these bodies. I don't know how to phrase it. Like forced to be soldiers or forced to be on Kimpley's team as forced chimeras that they have this bond. But I hope, uh, I hope that those guys are good too. And then maybe we get like some more reinforcements because the more manpower, the better. I agree. They need as many as they can get because, I mean, we know who they're going up against. They're going up the entire central military. And then, of course, they're going up against, you know, Chimera and not Chimera. Well, yeah, I guess Chimera too, but Homunculi and all that. So they're going to need as many people as possible. And I love Yokai getting his his moment to shine. Like, he's like, this is a mining town. There's got to be mine, like tunnels underneath the ground. And... You know, from the last episode, it seemed like he was a pretty bad, uh, I don't know what they're called, like, it's not a manager of a mine. Is that foreman or? Uh, he was a governor of a mining city. Whatever he was. But he, like, had control of the yeah. mine. Right? And from the, the flashback, it made it seem like he was just kind of this, he didn't know what he was doing, and he was kind of really doing it for the money. But in this episode, we kind of like learned that he actually knew what he was doing or at least enough to like know where the maps were kept and how to navigate through the tunnels. So I like how he's more useful than he let on to believe. I agree. Yeah, I mean, he has kind of been a side character who's had no real purpose up to this point. So it is kind of nice that he did have some value this time around by coming up with the idea of using the mines because... Yeah, I doubt they would have come up with that idea on their own. So having somebody who is familiar with how mining towns work had a benefit. And I guess it also shows how... Uh, gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it shows how every character in the episode, or at least every named character in the episodes or the seasons, yeah, I, I, how they all serve a purpose. Like, they, there's no, like, throwaways. Even, like, the most minor character seems to have some benefit to the team overall. True. And it's really great. Like like I said, like, we didn't... We met him first in season one in, like, one of the first five episodes. Kind of name-dropped. And now he's uh, a part of the Alchemist team, as I've nicknamed them. You know, going through the tunnels... So it's really great to kind of see people contributing any way they can. Agree 110%. I love the fact that we have them helping. And I love the fact that we are kind of seeing kind of a character change in him too. I mean, obviously it's a minor one. Him just recommending them use a tunnel doesn't necessarily make him a hero. But, you know, the fact that he is actually contributing to the team instead of just being a carry along. I do feel like he felt like he got his hero moment. When he suggested that, he kind of was like, this is a mining town. And everyone turned to him. He was like, yep, you know, I did good. Yes. And what else did we have happen? So we have the we have that weird thing happening with Al where he kind of sees his body. Like not, I guess it, it's like, it's weird saying sees his body because you kind of get this idea of it being like, um, you know, Empire Strike Back uh, on Hoth while... You know, Luke sees Obi-Wan's ghost in the snow or whatnot, where it really wasn't that kind of situation. It was more like 
the flashes he had were in his mind, but still it was, it was kind of like, what's going on? Is he like, he's not dying or at least I don't think he's dying because he can't die. At least not in the way that we normally think of people dying. Cause he's, he doesn't have a body. So he's, he's clearly not dying from hypothermia or whatnot, but he does kind of have a, a borderline near death experience. I do. Well, at first I thought I missed something because I'm watching the episode and then I see like the flash, it like the flash to his body. And I'm like, did they go through like the portal again? Or did I miss something? But I do think it's maybe the stress, like a lot's happening right now. And everything's kind of, maybe the stress is getting to him and kind of trekking through the snow. I do think like there's that thing where it's mental. Some of it, like you see the snow hitting you and you see the wind blowing and maybe a part of it's mental that like it's getting to him. But it is interesting that he's like seeing these flashes. Yeah, I don't I'm curious what it is like. He's saying it's because his body is rejecting his soul. You know, that very well may be the case, but it just seems weird that it's happening right now while he is in the snow area. So I don't know. I don't know. If his body's rejecting the armor, I know we've like this is brought up with Barry the Butcher, but Barry the Butcher was in his body, like in that armor, longer than Al's been in his. I believe. I yeah, he might. They I don't know if they ever actually say, but yeah, he very well may have been, because we know that he was put in that body at some point in time, and he was supposed to guard the fifth laboratory. But yeah, we have no idea. I, don't know. I'd have to check my notes or saw that. I don't know how long he's been in there, but yeah, I would imagine that he would be able to be in there longer. And as far as we know, Barry the Chopper was just fine. It was up until, you know, his armor got destroyed that he finally quote unquote died. I do think again that this is a mental thing and that the seed has been planted in Al's mind and it just keeps growing and growing. And if Ed told Al, what his body looked like, I feel like you would feel that there's a, a rush as well. Because we've seen what Al's body looks like, and it's kind of, it's like uh, very deprived of nutrients. So I feel like Al feels this rush, and maybe that's what's spurring this on even more. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that, I guess that makes as much sense as anything. I do wonder what's going to happen. Is Al gonna make it in time because we find out that like Armstrong has been sent to Central and now Briggs is under Central. Yeah control. hopefully he does that or hopefully something happens to kind of I don't know distract Central or or divert the people or, or something's gotta happen because I would hate to see them have to figure out how to fight against all the soldiers and hide the fact that they have Winry and Scar and Mal and uh, Marco and everything, so. It does seem like we're, I don't know, I don't want to say we're coming to a point, because I say that every episode, but it does seem like we're coming to a point. Nice. I I do think that's happening. Like, now we're starting to see, so in this episode, we've, we've seen everybody's kind of brought into the fold. So in the past, it's been all soldiers for the most part, so Briggs, soldiers, and and uh, Mustang's team and whatnot. Now we have former enemies who are joining the side. So Scar, 
Uh, Marco's never really been an enemy, but he's kind of been out of the picture for a while. And now they have a Xingyi's girl helping them. And yeah, now we're starting to see kind of this, everybody's getting together for the greater good. Yeah, we're all together. Uh, I'm just, ex- I'm wondering what's happening at Briggs right now. I'm wondering what, like who they've sent, how many people are in there. I mean, we have so many people who are on the brother side. Well, I don't know that for a fact. Because all we know is uh, Armstrong's core circle. I don't know if she's explained it to everyone. But we know that the core people know yeah. to protect the brothers. So let's see who finds them first. Yeah, I think that will be... Whoever finds them first is definitely going to make a big difference. That will show the, them the future or they'll, they'll determine where well I guess what happens to them and how they move forward though it does seem like what's her face Armstrong has shared a lot because Miles wasn't in the tunnel when they were talking about the transmutation circle yet you know he told or she told Miles about it and Miles knows about it so you know it's possible that she has uh, Armstrong's kind of told everybody in Briggs that or at least everybody in Power and Briggs that the brothers are are good people. Yeah, I'm just excited. I'm a little nervous. We got them going through the tunnels. So let's see where they who where they end up. Maybe I will get there. Let's first. hope so. Or let's hope that they get some kind of hint or luck out or something. Because as much as I would like to see them escape from Briggs and in soldiers and whatnot, I would also like to see them just do what they need to do and not have to deal with all that craziness. Yeah, but I'm sure it's going to be a lot of craziness, though. I mean, Briggs is the last point. That's true. That's true, too. That's lingering as well, that we know that Briggs is the last place for them to do their weird alchemy or sacrifice people and create a a blood carving or whatever it was that they called it. And so that's kind of lingering as well. Yep, so... As I said again, it all seems like it's coming to a point, and I'm excited. I am too, and I think that might be all I have for this episode. How about you? Yeah, that wraps up my notes for this episode. So yeah, as I mentioned, we are three seasons in now. We have two more left to go, so probably by fall we'll be done with all this, and I we really appreciate you all listening, and enjoying the podcast and enjoying the walkthrough and we will catch you next time as always i've been jason i'm jimmy bye bye